Let's go live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. The weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Cut, knocked away. Brantley's got a steal. Williams Goss has it. 42 seconds left. Down by one. Lob to Bradley. Layup. Good. Jazz lead it. 127-126. Pick and roll. Conley lobs it high. Go Bears! Slam dunk. They have done very little pick and roll work together, but they figured that one out. Jazz playing an eight or nine man rotation. They'll set the lineup for you in a moment. O'Neal drives the baseline. Kicks to the corner. Donovan left corner three is good. Catch and shoot for Donovan on an O'Neal drive, and the Jazz lead it 26 to 19. Donovan Mitchell's got five. Same play again. Conley, cross court, Donovan wide open for three. Pow! Oh, that is just gorgeous offense, because the only thing you can do by take away the lob is to bring him off the corner. Mike Conley finds him. He's got seven assists, and the Jazz offense is rolling. 66-55, back to ball. In and out dribble with the right hand into the lane. Sees Gobert, throws it back out to Zion. Zion tries to attack, high over Gobert, misses, gets his own rebound, and jams it. Wow! There you go. Some of the highlights from last night's game between the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jay Catch. This is the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke and Ron Boone on the call. And... One thing you guys may hear in those highlights that I have gotten used to over the years is you know it's a good play for the Utah Jazz when you hear kind of that little the little uh, laugh from Ron Booney. You can hear it underneath David Locke, and it is it is highly entertaining. Let's put it that way. And uh, it was a great game last night. I actually really enjoyed it. And uh, Clint uh, Peterson, of course, a dear friend of the Saturday Show, tweets at us all the time. As I was talking about in the first segment, he tweeted at me. He says, it may have been a preseason game, speaking of the Jazz and the Pelicans, but it had a decidedly regular season feel to it. And I absolutely agree with that because last night, uh, both starting lineups went deep into this game. The Jazz mainly played their what we expect to be their usual rotation in the upcoming season. They played it for pretty much three quarters. Uh, The Pelicans played a a little bit longer, but the fourth quarter was dominated by reserves by and large. And New Orleans comes out with the 128 to 127 victory after all is said and done. But a highly, highly entertaining game. I was thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. All five Jazz starters in this game scored in double figures, led by Royce O'Neal's 16 points. Uh, two other guys off the bench, Jeff Green, who I actually think is going to be a big-time player for the Jazz this season, still getting it done in his 30s, still just an elite athlete. He led the Jazz on the night with 20 points overall, 8 of 9 from the field. Fantastic effort off the bench. And Tony Bradley came in off the bench and added 10 points and 5 rebounds of his own. A good effort from that. Ed Davis also had a great showing, 7 points and 7 rebounds in 14 minutes of action. So I really enjoyed this game. I I don't know how to say it any other way. Zion Williamson looked very good. Uh, scored 26 points in the win for the Pelicans of this game and looks every bit the star that we all expected him to be as a rookie. Uh, had a couple of plays where he took it right at Rudy Gobert, Ed Davis, even Tony Bradley, I believe, at one point in the game. And I saw actually a tweet uh, from, uh, I don't remember who the national uh, 
national uh, writer was saying that Zion Williamson, he actually thinks he should be playing center in the NBA because of his ability to drive by bigger guys, but also shoot from the perimeter to have that advantage. But regardless, let's put it this way. Zion Williamson fits just fine at the, at the NBA level, it appears at this point. But at the same time, the Utah Jazz, I was thoroughly entertained with what they, sh- what they showed on the court. Uh, for the night, the Jazz shot 59% from the field, 50% from beyond the arc. And the Jazz, I told the night, thirty-five, no, 37 assists on the night. I thought it was a really, really clean effort from the Utah Jazz. A lot of moving parts. You can tell that this lineup is very deep for the Utah Jazz. What they lack in terms of overall star power and not maybe having a... Uh, let's say a top ten player for on their for them on their roster. I think the Jazz go legitimately eight nine deep with guys that they can count on in a pinch that can score the basketball. Guys like a Jeff Green who can come off the bench and just absolutely do it from both inside and outside. Like I said, Jeff Green early on in his 30s, still is the elite athlete that he has been most of his career in the NBA. He's a guy that I, I from afar, I've always observed and kind of enjoyed watching him play. He's now 33 years old, uh, out of Georgetown, and he still just gets it done. I really liked what he showed, his footwork last night, both in the lane and also from the perimeter. He's a guy that has got the size to play that four spot for the Jazz, uh, a stretch four that I think Jazz fans have clamored for in this day and age of the NBA. And I think that the Jazz are showing pretty clearly in this preseason overall. I know that they're 0-3 uh, on the preseason, not 0-3, 1-2 on the, uh, during the preseason. They're 0-2 against NBA competition. I know there's been some uh, talk of, okay, is this truly going to be positionless basketball? I'm thinking it's going to be that way with the Utah Jazz this year. Uh, Guys like Jeff Green, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, they are capable of playing any position from the one to the four, I feel like. And you don't have to have traditional positions if you have guys who can just interchange and play basketball. I think it's the biggest thing in this day and age of the NBA is guys who can just play ball, go out and get it done, and contribute at a high level. And I like what the Jazz have done in terms of compiling this roster. It's got a lot of good parts to it, of course, the cornerstones in guys like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Uh, Gobert very much making the Utah Jazz much tougher on defense last night. showed his worth after they were beaten up in Milwaukee on Wednesday night, but I really, uh, just looking at what the Jazz have going for them, I like the pieces that the, the the front office has compiled here because I felt like they jettisoned a guy who could contribute at an extremely high level, and it's a guy they saw last night. Derek Favors is a fan favorite here in Utah for good reason. He's a guy who's contributed to high level for a long time for the Utah Jazz, but just was miscast in his role with the Utah Jazz. I don't think there's anybody out there listening to this show who can argue with me that he is not one of the top, I'd say, 15, maybe top 10 centers in this league. It just so happens he has the best center in the league playing in front of him for the Utah Jazz. And in terms of the salary cap and how the salary cap is structured in the NBA, you're not going to pay $18 million to your backup center. It's just not going to happen. So the Utah Jazz, they got something for Derek Favors, and he is going to play extremely well for the New Orleans Pelicans as their starting center. I have no doubt about that. But he's also been very complimentary of how the Jazz treated him, how Jazz fans treated him. He says he's going to be watching us. Uh, speaking of the Jazz, last night in the postgame interviews with Kristen Kenny, he said, I'll be watching you guys this year. 
he very much enjoyed his time as a jazz man. I think every jazz fan within the sound of my voice up in, up here in Utah and elsewhere along the Wasatch Front, etc., I think we all can say thank you to Derek Favors and wish him nothing but the best with the New Orleans Pelicans. I think New Orleans is going to be a very good team this year. I I, I know that the current uh, setup of how we're going about uh, the the West with the lineups, how the Los Angeles Clippers kind of reinvented themselves, the Los Angeles Lakers at Anthony Davis, etc. Playoff spots are going to be at a premium for teams in the Western Conference this year, and I feel like it's even deeper than it ever has been. Teams like the New Orleans Pelicans, teams like the Dallas Mavericks, they have aspirations of making a move up the standings and making the playoffs this year. Teams like Oklahoma City probably are going to move down a little bit. We'll see how Golden State holds up uh, without Klay Thompson. I know that Steph Curry absolutely had a monster effort the other night, 40 points in just 25 minutes of action. That was cool to see. It shows that he is still capable of carrying this franchise, but I don't know if he can do that game in and game out. We'll see where the Golden State Warriors are when it comes to the end of the year. I would expect that they're probably still a playoff team, maybe not a top four seed, but if they're Golden State Warriors at the end of the year, Clay Thompson, let's say he's getting healthy, maybe he's just getting back onto the court, there may be a 6-7-8 seed, whoever that higher seed is, and if they get Clay Thompson healthy, that's a trendy upset pick. There's no doubt about it because Golden State, when they're at their best, there's no doubt that they are one of the best teams in the NBA still, even without Kevin Durant. So I'm excited to see what happens with the NBA this year. I don't know that it um, is going to be uh, okay. I guess that's not, not going to be. It's going to be very interesting to see where teams in the West slot. I feel like the Utah Jazz very much are one of the four best teams in the Western Conference. I know people like John Hollinger uh, wrote on in the Athletic earlier this week that he thinks the Utah Jazz is actually in his mind are better built for the playoffs than they are for the regular season. When I think the prevailing thought is that the Utah Jazz maybe are a better team. Uh, in the regular season in terms of getting uh, wins, etc., piling up wins, and maybe don't have the star power to carry them through the playoffs. Hollinger had an interesting take, and if you go to The Athletic, I know you have to subscribe to it, but The Athletic, in my opinion, the subscription's worth every dime. He wrote in there that he feels like if, once the Utah Jazz are in the playoffs, regardless of where they are seated, he had them seated, I believe, fifth in his preseason projections, but he felt like with what the Jazz have in terms of the versatility of their lineups, the way they defend, uh, the number of pieces they have to contribute at a high level, he actually felt like the Utah Jazz are a bigger weapon in the postseason, or a bigger... Uh, uh, they have, they're better in the postseason than they would be in the regular season. That was just an interesting take to me because I've been of the notion with, I think, a lot of people up and down uh, NBA circles, in NBA circles around the country, the think the Utah Jazz are going to pile up wins and could potentially challenge for the number one seed in the Western Conference. I still think that a team like the Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers, are probably likely your one of your top seeds in the NBA this year. I don't necessarily think the Utah Jazz care to have that number one seed. Maybe they do. I don't know that. I haven't talked to the Jazz Brain Trust, who uh, would, would kind of ha- harbor that aspiration. But I think the Jazz are very much looking for home uh, court advantage, at least in the first round of the playoffs, and that would be a top four seed. But I feel like the Jazz, the way they're constructed, the way I saw them play last night against the New Orleans Pelicans, because I'm with Clint, that was a preseason game that very much had a had a, a regular season feel to it. And I, I just I, I look at it and I feel like with what the Jazz have compiled here, 
This is a team that is going to be very dangerous, and that's what we all have hoped for from the Jazz. The versatility of this lineup. You can put guys on the court. Last night there was a lineup at one point that the shortest guy for the Jazz on the court was six foot six Royce O'Neal. I uh, had guys like Joe Ingles, Jeff Green, Rudy Gobert. There was a very tall and long lineup on that court, and that's a great thing uh, to see because the Jazz can go small if they need to. Guys like Mike Conley and, and Donovan Mitchell, it's one of the smaller backcourts in the NBA if we're being honest with ourselves. Mike Conley listed at 6'1", Donovan Mitchell 6'3". Not the tallest backcourt due in terms of starters, but the nice part is is the Jazz have pieces around them. Speaking of guys like Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jeff Green, and the like. I know I'm leaving all kinds of names out here. The nice part is the versatility. They can match big for big. They can go small for small. The Jazz now have the roster flexibility to go and make plays, and I think that it's going to benefit them very much this upcoming season. I don't know where I'm going to land in terms of where the Jazz wins-wise. I think 50 is a pretty admirable goal. I think a 50-win team in the NBA you've had a good season to a large degree. This year, though, with how uh, stout the Western Conference look looks, how deep it looks overall in terms of the West, 50 wins may be a top four seed accomplishment, pending how... Uh, if Okay, it also depends on if, okay, what it looks like on paper with the Western Conference. If those teams are as good as we all think they are, and I'm speaking of teams like a Dallas, like New Orleans, who we saw last night, if they're capable of playing that way game in and game out, the Western Conference matchups this season are going to be an absolute grind for every team. And playing a team from the Eastern Conference one night actually may be a break in some ways from the grind that is the Western Conference. And that's not to say that there's not good teams in the East. We've obviously seen the Milwaukee Bucks, very talented. The Philadelphia 76ers are going to be gunning once again for one of the top seeds in the East. The Boston Celtics simply retooled their roster. There is plenty to keep an eye on from the Eastern Conference, but the bottom end of the Eastern Conference versus the bottom end of the Western Conference, there's a much higher floor when it comes to the Western Conference than there is in the Eastern Conference. So some nights, if you're facing a team that's amongst the bottom rung of the Eastern Conference, it actually could be an advantage in terms of the standings come the end of the year. And it's going to be imperative for teams like the Jazz and essentially everybody in the Western Conference. When you have opportunities to play against teams who maybe aren't as talented as you, you have to make sure that you win those games because at the end of the year, one or two wins could could actually make the difference between you being three or maybe four slots higher in the playoff hierarchy. And I know that's crazy to say, and we're not even to the regular season quite yet in the NBA, But on paper right now, it looks like it is going to be imperative that when you have a game where you are a heavy favorite, you're expected to go win that game, that you make sure you take care of business. You can't have an off night against a lesser team because come the end of the year, based on how everything looks projecting forward to next spring, it could be the difference between home court advantage and pl- playing on the road to open the playoffs. And I know the guys like PK have come on and said that he doesn't feel like home court advantage is all it's cracked up to be. I understand that that kind of notion, but I think it's a perception thing for fans. To have your team have home court advantage, be one of the top four seeds in the playoffs, I think it's just a thing that you look at as a jazz fan or a fan of whatever team in the NBA and it makes you feel like oh, you know what we're actually better than we thought and we we actually accomplished what we wanted to accomplish and I just I look at it and 
I feel like last night's game gave a preview of what the Western Conference could be this season. Uh, like I said, Clint tweeted at me. He said it had a decidedly uh, regular season feel to it. I absolutely agree because the way those teams are going back and forth, speaking of the Jazz and the Pelicans, these were the top lineups for both teams, a lot of talent on the court, and they had a really, really good battle back and forth, and I really enjoyed watching it. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of these uh, coming coming up in the coming uh, days and months, of course. We are now, I think, 10 days away from Jazz basketball opening the season against the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder are an interesting case because they now have Chris Paul as their point guard. Guys like Steven Adams are still on on the roster. So maybe not the most talented team as they once were with Russell Westbrook, who is now with the Houston Rockets, as well as uh, Paul George with the Clippers, but they're still plenty dangerous. And that goes back to my point. When you have a team that you're supposed to beat in a game, well, you need to make sure you take care of business because if you don't, you could, you could, you could cost yourself playoff seeding. And uh, just an update for you before we go to break, Jaron Hall just tossed a touchdown pass to Dax Milne. We'll keep you updated on that. Put That puts BYU up 9-0 with the PAT coming up. All right, we'll take a timeout here. We'll come back on the other side, get to some more scores, updates, and the like as we roll on here on the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch, your host here. Thanks again for joining us on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, if you're out and about not keeping track of this game or if, uh, you're, whatever you're doing, BYU up 10-0 currently on South Florida. We will have immediate post-game reaction as soon as this game goes final down there in Tampa. So we'll keep you updated on that. We'll keep you updated on scores, et cetera, throughout the afternoon as well. BYU off to a good start. Their defense not allowing South Florida to do much of anything. And, of course, the offense looking like it's coming alive for the Cougars as well. All right, wanted to get to a conversation. They played this on the Cougar pregame show, if you were listening to it earlier on today. But a fantastic conversation with Dustin Smith. He is the co-founder of, of QB Elite. It's a quarterback's camp that's here locally but works with – quarterbacks from all ages. Jaron Hall, who is starting his first game in a BYU uniform today, is a guy that has worked with Dustin since the time he was a youngster. I'm talking 5th, 6th, 7th grade. He's been there with him for a long time. Dustin knows Jaron Hall about as well as anybody in terms of a football sense of him as anybody outside of maybe his father, Kalen Hall, who was a running back for BYU in the early 1990s. So I wanted to get to you guys this conversation. He talks a lot about what Jaron Hall brings to the table as a BYU quarterback, where he comes from. And Jaron Hall off to a good start today. He had a big touchdown pass just a couple of minutes ago against South Florida to Dax Milne. So here you go. Dustin Smith from QB Elite with David James and Patrick Kinahan on DJ and PK in the morning earlier this week right here on The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Dustin Smith, QB Elite. He's trained Jaron Hall for years, and we're all curious what Jaron's going to do when he makes his college debut. BYU at South Florida Saturday. Dustin, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Now, I hate to shoot down the whole premise of the interview, but Dustin, be honest with us. 
Deep down, are you just like us? Do you wonder what Jaron's going to do when he makes his college debut at South Florida? Do you really know? Oh, absolutely. I think I think anytime a, a a quarterback gets his first start in Division One football, I don't care how successful he was in high school or how big and strong and athletic he looks at practice or you know, at camps or whatever. It's it's a different deal. So. Uh, yes, I'm. I, I think we'll see good play from Jaron. I know he's a good player and an extremely uh, gifted athlete and quarterback. But you know he's going to have to make some adjustments to a lot of things, and he doesn't have a whole lot of time to do it because they're uh, they got to get a win. What are his strengths, Dustin? Uh, excuse me. What'd you say? What are his strengths? What are his strengths? Uh, Jaron's. You know, it's been talked about a lot the last week or so. There's there's obvious strengths if you've if you've listened to coaches or watched Jaron at scrimmage or you know even in the game last week, his high school film that he's he's very athletic. He can uh, obviously he plays two sports down there at BYU. He played three sports in high school, was good at all three. Um, he's he's got a real acceleration and 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 burst to him. So he's. Uh, he's difficult to to bring down in the backfield, and he's able to do a lot with his with his feet. But I I wouldn't say that his greatest strength is his athleticism. Jaron's greatest strength, in my opinion, is he's just he's very smooth and calm and in control, and he doesn't get rattled very easily. And you know, if you've interviewed him or, or been around him very much, or talked to people who have been, you know, they they see that in him. He's he's just very calm and collective, and and as a quarterback, that's important. Um, but he's also extremely confident in his ability. And I don't think that the moment or the, uh, um, you know, the pressure of being a quarterback at BYU is something that's affecting him negatively at all. PK's always positive and upbeat. He asks about the strengths. I'm the negative guy. I'll ask about the weaknesses. What worries you the most? Where would South Florida attack him and maybe have some success? Well, what worries me the most with Jaron is the same as what worried me with Zach and, and Tanner and, and other quarterbacks at BYU is um, BYU's issues has more to do with with how they run the football than how their quarterbacks throw the football. It's it's glaringly obvious if you look at the games that BYU wins versus the games that BYU loses that when they run the ball well, they win. Um, in fact, I, I looked over this just just this morning a little bit to double check it. BYU's the last, you know, they're nine and nine if you go their last two years, last year and in, in their game so far this year. Over when they rush for over a hundred yards, they're nine and two. When they rush for under a hundred yards, they're zero and seven. Um, it's and there's a tremendous difference in their in, in their rushing yards and their wins versus their losses. They average almost two hundred yards in those nine wins when they when they win, and they're like eighty yards in those seven losses running the ball. Um, and so that you know that's that's going to be critical to them because if they can run the ball and and keep their quarterbacks out a third and long, I think Jaron will do well. If Jaron is getting caught in a lot of third and sevens and third and nines and he's having to sit back there and and beat what, what I'm understanding is a, a pretty athletic uh, team, and if BYU can't run the ball on these guys, then they've got you know all sorts of other trouble, in my opinion. They've got to be able to go down there and, and, and run over these guys and be in some third and shorts. And then hopefully with Jaron's athleticism, he can pick up the slack a little bit on that, but their running back game 
you know, they can't have like last year against Boise State or against Utah State when their running back production is 50 or 60 yards for the entire game, and then you get another 40 or 50 from your quarterback. You know, Zach had as many rushing yards in those two games as I think the running backs did combined almost. So, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on Jaron if that's the case. So that that makes me nervous if they don't run the ball, that he's then feeling pressed to have to make big plays and he takes too many chances and turns the ball over. Because that's the other thing. This year, in their, in their three losses, they have seven turnovers. And in both of their wins, they didn't have any. You know, so it's it's not turning the ball over and it's their ability to run the ball and not put Jaron whoever the quarterback is, but especially a first-time starting freshman quarterback in regular third and long situations. If that's the case, then I get nervous that he might press and try to make too many big plays and and in return uh, turn the ball over. Really hard to argue with anything you just said there. I love to argue, but I can't come up with anything. I mean, it's very much a black-and-white issue. You've got so much evidence on your side that that's just literally the way it is, and we'll see how it plays out. And obviously losing Tyson Williams was a major blow to that. I want to throw something at you, a theory that that I've kind of concocted in my head. I don't know if it's true or not, but the fact was that you look at a, a guy like Jake Heaps and Tanner Mangum, and they were these all these, these number one quarterbacks coming out of high school, and then they get out on the field, and at some point, things go a little south on them and the pressure becomes amplified because these guys were the number one quarterbacks out of high school and they're supposed to go to the pros and you know heaps his whole family was all in on it and it was only a matter of time BYU was a stepping stone and Tanner shared elite co-MVP with Jameis Winston who won the Heisman and went on to be the number one pick so they have all this external almost intangible pressure and I, maybe I'm missing something with Jaron Hall, but and I don't follow high school football that much, but I didn't hear him being an Elite 11 and all this and all that. So I'm wondering if that might play into his being able to just go out there and play the game of football because I don't know how much expectation we have on him, whereas if you're saddled, and Tuttle had it at the U too, if you're, and I use the word saddled almost like it's a burden with this hype, it can work against you, and if you're not as saddled with this hype, you maybe might be able to come out and be a little more free and loose. Do you buy any of that? I think that's an excellent point, and I think it's there's absolutely truth to that. I These kids coming out of high school that have been highly – uh, decorated with awards and attention, especially nowadays with all the attention that they get, you know, outside of their circle of people due to, you know, social media and things. I, when they come in to these schools, um, there's a lot of people that they can say they don't, but in the back of their mind, they feel like they they can't let down, and and it, it's just human nature to start wondering what those people are thinking about you and are you are you fulfilling all those expectations that people had of you and are you going to be a because um, that starts right it starts early when they're being told hey you need to be you know you need to be on the top uh, the top 100 watch list and you need to be in the elite 11 and you need to be going to these these schools and you're too good for that that school or that school and so then you get to college and I think that they have an enormous amount of pressure placed on them to now prove that all of that hype surrounding them in high school was legit and not to let people down. And in a lot of cases, 
I think they start playing more for that than they do for their, their college team and the college experience. And, and in some of the cases that you just mentioned and, and many others out there, their college experience ends up being a negative one. And, and the people around them who are there just to play football, who want to just compete, uh, they don't oftentimes buy into your your game plan of using it as a stepping stone to get to the next level, you know, to the NFL. In the case of Jaron, Jaron was very quick in the process to say he's going to BYU. He, he, you're right, he didn't get the kind of attention that some of these kids get, but it was starting to come in. Uh, Coach Roderick was the first to offer him up at Utah. And, U- and University of Utah hasn't for many years. They don't offer or haven't offered quarterbacks out of the state of Utah very often. Um, just doesn't happen for whatever reason. I wish they would uh, do more, but it just hasn't. And, and, and Coach Roderick really liked Jaron, and that was his big, his first big offer. And BYU came immediately after that, and there were other schools interested. But Jaron was very clear when the BYU offer came in that he's, he's going on a mission and he's coming back and he wants to play at BYU. And he shut down the recruiting, really. He didn't – obviously the mission – comment turned off some schools and and but he was very clear that he wanted to go to BYU and at that point he was just going to focus on his senior year of football basketball and baseball and go on a mission and then come back and and let it fly and see what happened and when he came back there was a, a new offensive coordinator there and a new system Zach had been there a little already been you know through spring and, and Jaron had to come back and compete against that but his attitude was more of I'm going to get my chance and when I get it, I'm going to be ready. And he's just got a real, just kind of quiet confidence about him. That's it's really cool. If you interview him or have a chance to really talk with him, you'll see it. He's just a, a, a humble, confident kid, and who's extremely competitive, and just never bought into feeling like he had to do it for anybody other than him and his family. And he he, he wasn't interested. He's, he's not a big social media guy. He's not a look at me guy. His family's not. His people he surrounds himself with aren't and that's just not who he is and so that's why we didn't hear a lot about him but but man he can he can play he's a he's a very good quarterback you don't do what you what he did that quickly after coming back off a mission um and and move up the ranks as quickly as he did down there and get the praise that he's he's received from coach grimes and coach roderick and others that saw that he could play unless you have some abilities and so i'm looking forward to seeing seeing him do his thing and and he'll be there'll be some growing pains i hope BYU fans will be patient uh if there are those um but he's a definitely a uh division one quarterback who can do a lot of good things so you hit on several things in that very thorough answer i want to follow up on but one so pk lays it out for you we've talked about a lot there's a lot of numbers pk's dug him up you've seen it as you coach high school quarterbacks and, and maybe Jaron's a different deal because his dad played, so maybe he's getting advice that most guys aren't getting uh, because their parents are really new to the process and get the big eyes and all that, whereas, you know, dad's been through the ups and downs and kind of pass that along. But can you pass along when you explain it to people when the, when the quarterbacks are, you know, teenagers and on the way up? Can you explain it and drill it into their heads, or is the hype so big that everything you say just bounces off of, of them and doesn't stick? I try to say it. It's much harder um, if it's not coming from people that are, you know, closer, specifically family, um, and, and uh, you know, close, close friends. And kids, it's kind of a situational deal. Some kids, um, 
it doesn't matter what anybody says. They just they love it. In fact, I think there in some cases, unfortunately, that's the end game. It's it's the attention. Um, that's the reason for all the more so the reason for all the work and the lifting weights and the the pursuing the the success on the field is to get that attention. It's not to go and compete on the college field. That's the most disappointing thing for me is then once they make it, they kind of feel like they've arrived and, you know, they're able to say they got a scholarship and mom and dad are able to tell everybody that, that, you know, their son got a scholarship to wherever. And, and then you don't hear from the kid anymore because he just didn't have that self-motivation. And it was all about attention and, and compliments and pats on the back. And so you try to warn kids of that, that, that's coming, especially at that position. If you're going to play that position, um, you've got to, you're going to have some extreme highs and probably be over complimented. And you're going to have some extreme lows where you're going to be criticized probably harder than you should. It's, you know, I, I heard part of your last segment, it's pitchers have the same thing, right? Clayton Kershaw is going through the same thing right now where he's, he's taking all of the blame. Um, by the way, is there anything worse than having a coach have to walk out to a pitcher's mound and yeah. take the ball from, <laughs> from a pitcher and, and, and kick you out of the game and sports. Seems like it lasts worst, about two that's hours. the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrible, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you imagine if that happened in a football game, the head coach stopped the game and walked out and took <laughs> to the, the football from the quarterback and, and, and then let, made him walk back to the sideline and handed it to the next quarterback. You miss a free that's throw. And, you miss a free throw and Quinn Snyder has to stroll out there, take the ball and send you to the locker yeah. room. Yeah, and give it, give it, give it to the backup point guard, and then you got to go sit by yourself and just sit in the bench. It's the worst. But you know, yeah, you're David. It's uh, you try to warn these kids of of the you know that are getting caught up in that 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 usually is going to set them up for a bigger fall. And and but some kids listen. Some kids have the restraint to not get too caught up in looking at their press clippings and their their Twitter likes and retweets and things. But it's a, it becoming harder and harder. I'll tell you that it's more and more kids are, uh, you know, that, that fall in love with that attention. It's becoming harder and harder to tell the kids that if you do get that shot to play at the next level, no one's going to care about those things. And it's, it's, it's really what you do your next game out. And so you got to put that aside and, and focus on making the right decision and throwing the ball on time and being accurate. So that, that it just comes down to that. As uh, I know you work with Ty, has Demmer had any influence or inter- any interaction with Hall? Yeah, he has actually quite a bit. In fact, uh, Ty was uh, – Jaron was going to be the guy. I know Ty was really looking forward to coaching. Um, Jaron got offered not too long out, or too long before Ty um, you know, got that job. And uh, but he had worked with him through our program. Since Jaron Jaron started, I started working with him in about eighth, ninth grade, and and uh, and then Ty saw a lot of him. And Ty knew Kalen, and in fact, Ty's actually been in touch with Jaron a little bit just in the last couple of weeks in preparation for this game. And Ty really liked Jaron; he, he still does, and is is optimistic that that Jaron will do well. And I think Ty's had an influence on Jaron on some of those things we just talked about because Ty's that way. He's not about the attention and the hype, and he's just about playing ball and. Um, he, I know that he has had some conversations with Jaron as well about, hey, just stay low and, and grind and do your thing and and uh, you know let it play out. And I think that's been a, a helpful support for for Jaron. 
Uh, last thing I want to touch on what you said about Utah not recruiting local quarterbacks. It seems like it started changing with some of the other schools in the last few years. But there was a long stretch. Utah didn't seem to – high school quarterbacks didn't seem to catch on much of anywhere. And it has been changing, but it still seems like they're a little underrepresented. Do you have a good explanation about that? Aside from, okay, the U could take more guys. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why Utah hasn't. Uh, there's, I think that there's been some kids the last several years that uh, uh, could have helped them had they done so. Um, I, I, I think it's, it, and I'm, I'm just speaking out loud here. I think that the, uh, thinking out loud here that the, it may be that they just feel like they've got a, a greater pool to choose from, and so they have to pick from that greater pool. They've, they've, they got to get the kid from Florida because they can, you know, or the kid from California because they can. And, and it's just, as far as you know, quarterbacks in general here in Utah. Uh, it is changing. More of them are starting to be recognized, but I, I think for a lot of years it's just been you just didn't think of when you thought football players in Utah. You just don't. You just didn't think quarterbacks. You thought you know it's always been defensive linemen and and offensive linemen, and but you don't think QBs and receivers and some of those skill position groups. And um, I think that it's starting to change now. We do have some 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 good quarterbacks coming up and some kids that I would put on uh, competing against any, you know, kids from around the country, the, the local kids here in Utah, when, when they do get a chance to go up against these kids from out of state, they do very well. And, and uh, so it, it is a shame that we have so many of them that get overlooked. I'm happy to see it starting to change, but I would still like to see, you know, Utah get some more of those. And I'm glad that BYU has, you know, Zach and Jaron, um, but, you know, there were some years there, too, where I think BYU was missing out on a lot of local guys. They still do, I think. Um, so I'd like to see that change. And I think as more of these guys go out and do well um, and, and perform, I think that more of them will stay here locally. And uh, in BYU's case and Utah's case, the more successful they are as well. It's, it's, it's not the same as it used to be 20 years ago where, you know, BYU could claim that you got to come to BYU, play QB here because you got to have that you know, LDS experience, there's, there's LDS experiences at schools all over the West and all over the country. And so a lot of those local kids who may be LDS or it's, it's not as big a deal to go to BYU anymore. And, and then I think Utah is having some success finding kids from all over the country. They have a shot at anybody being in the PAC 12. And so I think they take, they're taking those chances and thinking they can lean back on the Utah kid later. And, um, which they probably can, but a lot of these Utah kids, I think nowadays, are saying, "I'll just, I'll go somewhere else," or, or they're unfortunately not playing, and there's a lot of them that could be. Dustin, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks, guys. Take care. There you go, Dustin Smith, QB Elite. Great interview, great insight on uh, on what Jaron Hall brings to the field for BYU. Uh, BYU now just up 13 to 7. USF went right down the field, scored a touchdown. Uh, so 13 7 ball game there in Tampa. We'll keep you updated all afternoon long on scores from that game. All right, uh, coming up next, our fearless co host, Adrian Lizer, rejoins us. We'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in sports, college football, Utah Jazz, and everything in between. That's all coming up next, right here on the Saturday Show.
The weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch, joined by a familiar voice on this here show. A very familiar voice. I am Adrian Leiser. Sorry, yes, he this is back. Is, tournament season is done, so I should be back. How'd Brighton do today? Oh, we did okay. Okay, that's good. We could, are, have, could have done better, but it was a JV sophomore tournament, so okay. it was a it's a good time down at Lone Peak. They do a great job as always hosting. So, as, as people know, here on the Saturday show, we are big Brighton Bengals volleyball. We fans. are. Yes, we are. So go good. Bengals. All right, there but you go. But it was a good time. A lot of great teams. Actually, a he- couple of huge tournaments. Sky Ridge, Pleasant Grove hosting the varsity tournament. There's like okay. 40, something like 40 teams. Where do they host that? Uh, it's Sky Ridge and Lone Peak. So so they just have teams just yep. cycling in and out? Yep. Wow. So uh, tons of tons of volleyball going. Last week, our varsity team was at Bingham West Jordan. Tons of teams going on in that one. Six courts with, okay, you know, at each place, so it's there's a lot going on right now, so it's a lot of fun. The RPI is making things really interesting in high school sports around here, as you know, with uh-huh. the football and everything, so it's been fun. Yeah, uh, yeah the playoffs for women, girls' soccer are underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, boys' football playoffs coming up shortly. When's volleyball get going? Uh, November, first week of November, I believe. Okay, so, so right at the same time yep. the, bas- the football teams get going. All right, well. Football's interesting right now, too. That yeah. was a cold weekend of football I went- for... High school. Yeah. Was, we got out. We played Highland at home, and Brighton was over at Hillcrest. Okay, but I got we got out of that on Thursday night, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're playing in this right now." I went to so Thursday night. My brother, who's a senior at Mountain View in Orem, they're playing at Cedar Valley, which is the new school out in out by Saratoga Springs. Yeah. It's it's clear on the backside of where if you guys know Utah Valley Lake Mountain, right along Utah Lake. There, it's on the backside of that. Always windy. It was frigid mm. i was like okay whew, this is a cold game i yeah. stayed for like half of the tony game. said the he went to corner canyon sky ridge and he said it was the coldest regular season game he had been to for a high school freezing yeah all right anyways let's run down some scores how about that all right let's start off it. number one alabama they're up 24 to 10 on number 24 texas a&m uh the crimson tide went we're down early in this game but as you and i both know adrian they're just getting going they're just so like we were talking in the break about how <laughs> people don't like to watch alabama people just generally don't like winners yes. it's just for some reason i've said it before like the American dream is to win and get to the top, but as soon as you do, everyone hates you, yeah, apparently. Yeah, exactly. So we, don't, we don't like watching you. We, what? We want to see the journey, but not actually see you succeed. But Alabama, they're just so good. They're, this game is close. All of a sudden, it's 24-10. to 10. Um, they're, they're in A&M territory again off a turnover. Punt return. The punter for uh, A&M was on skates. Yeah. And uh, so he was absolutely. But uh, they they should win this game handily. But uh, Clemson up twenty eight nothing on Florida State. No surprise there. Number two ranked Tigers rolling. Number eight Wisconsin up seventeen nothing on Michigan State. A little bit surprising to see Michigan State getting blank so far in this game. Yeah, but Michigan State for me has been such like a paper tiger a little bit. And like, Wisconsin's been really good this year. They they got creamed by Ohio State last week. Mm-hmm. They lost that close game to ASU. Whether you blame the refs or not, but. Yeah. Uh, but in the, speaking of ASU, Washington State and ASU going at it right now. Yeah, seventeen fourteen down there in Tempe. Yeah, Wazoo up early in this game. Anthony Gordon already two hundred and eighteen yards and two touchdowns passing. It's a big game for the South just because 
um, if you're the Utes, you kind of want everybody to lose just so you can give yourself a little bit of a leeway. You're still waiting on USC to take a loss, but yeah. Um, update for BYU: They're going to kick a field goal here about 40 Again. seconds to go in the half here, so we'll keep you updated on that. But lots their, of field goals. Their red weekend. zone struggles continue for the Cougars. They oh, we didn't and we didn't in. talk about it because uh, you had the oh. interview going. But oh uh, USF rolled out three straight runs for first downs, and then. Um, is it Wilcox who was wide tight end just runs yeah, Wilcox, straight up the middle? USF's best receiver is their tight end, Wilcox. Yeah. He goes on a corner route up just right up the seam, and Bo Tanner, who's a converted uh, wide receiver for BYU, who is transferred decided to transfer from the program twice, is now back with the team, starting at strong safety, barely turns and jogs as this yeah. guy blows by him for a touchdown pass. Yeah, that uh if he's still on the field for the rest of the way, that's not gonna be a fun Film session, yeah, for Bo. I, that was a, just a play that just baffling, and Twitter just goes and goes. Of course, blows up, and uh, mm, BYU just to made, a pick in the end zone. Wow, BYU just made the field goal, so they are now up sixteen to ten, just before half, uh, sixteen to seven. Excuse me, just before halftime. Cincinnati, they are up on Houston, twenty-one yep. ten. That's a good Cincinnati team. They're finally into that top twenty-five. I watched them play the uh, uh, play against. I was trying to remember who uh, UCLA. They looked mm-hmm. pretty good against them. They didn't show up against OSU, but that's obviously a different story. But they have the win over UCF. So yep, and then kind of like Cincinnati, Texas Tech, and Baylor three three in the second quarter of their game there in the Big Twelve. All right, Adrian, let's take a timeout here. We'll come back on the other side. I want to get your thoughts. Of course, you are the jazz j- producer for jazz games here at the Zone Sports Network, so you have a very close eye on how the jazz too do close. Ga- no, okay. just <laughs> too close. But I want to get your thoughts on last night's game. Okay. I really enjoyed it. I, I, yeah. I thought it was a fun game, back and forth affair. We'll talk more about that. We'll get you more score updates throughout the afternoon as well. That's all coming up next right here on the Saturday Show.